0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at VineyardCampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, what up everybody? Happy Sunday. Good morning. Uh, My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Welcome to Second Service. You're officially Second Service, people. And I told First Service, we're rating the two services to see which one is better. And I'll report back next week to let you know whether you're the better or the worse of the two. So there may be some work to do. I don't know. We'll just see how this goes. Okay. Uh, We're in a series right now in the book of Daniel. It's going to be 11 weeks long. There's 12 chapters in Daniel, but we're going to do 11 weeks, and and there's reasons for that that I won't go into, but it's going to be a good minute. We're basically going to be in the book of Daniel till Christmas and Advent, so if you're wondering, like, what should I read for church, just open up your Bible and uh, read the book of Daniel. But before we get into the text and before we get into the message this morning, we do have one special announcement. Thank you, Reese. Uh, We have a special offering next Sunday. Uh, The entire offering next Sunday is going to go towards just a bunch of maintenance stuff that we have done and are going to do here at the church. Maybe you noticed that we just repainted the exterior. It looks really nice. It was deteriorating, and now it looks so nice. And we have some technology things to fix in this room, and then in our kids' wing, we need to do some painting and some sprucing up as well. And the total for all that is about 35000 And here's what we'd love to do. We'd love to just receive one offering next Sunday and knock that out. Uh, we have the money to do that already in the bank, but we don't want to spend any of our nest egg on that sort of thing because really we need to keep every dollar we can and we need to point it towards next year when we add on to this building. Like this room right here, it works pretty good. The kid's wing is a joke. Uh, it, we break it every week, like like if half the church came, the, the kids wing is still broken, and so we really need to add on in that direction. So we need to keep all the money we can for that, because I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but architects and builders and concrete is expensive. Uh, so that's next week, and I'd love it if you are a part of the Vineyard family if you would join us in that. Uh, the other tiny announcement, not even an announcement, it's just an observation. I hope you noticed that this morning we began by singing in Spanish, and I want you to know know this, that here at the Vineyard, we're going to be doing that more rather than less in the future, and the reason we're going to do that is because uh, really it's just uh, a matter of hospitality. Uh, Our area is becoming increasingly Hispanic, and we want the worship here at the Vineyard to welcome the people and the humans who actually live in this area. And so we're going to do that more rather than less. So uh, brush up on rolling your R's and uh, get your best Spanish accent out because we're going to make this a consistent piece of what we do uh, here at the Vineyard because these are the people that God is putting in our midst and we want to be an open door for them. Does that make sense? Okay, Uh, book of Daniel chapter 1. If it's all right with you, I'm going to read the rest of chapter 1. Kate read... The first five verses, and so I'm going to read from 6 to verse 21. It's a little bit long and it's got some weird names in it. Uh, if you came in late, here's what happens in the first five verses Nebuchadnezzar uh, defeats Judah and he takes some guys to be reeducated and reformed in Babylonian ways. And here's what we've got Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, 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 Michelle. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Mishael. That feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) Very green county. Mishael? Will. Azariah were four of the young men chosen from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Now that sounds green county. Like like when you get right down, Belshazzar. That's that's my dog, Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael, Mishael was called Meshach. Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. You might want to underline that. And he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of the 10 days, See how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed with Daniel's suggestion and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and they looked better and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the trained period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, so they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the king of Cyrus. All right. That's our text this morning. Uh, the title for today's message is, I won't do that. I won't do that. And if you're over 50 years old, you, you probably know that's a veiled reference at a meatloaf song. <laughs> I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. And I kind of like it. I kind of like making that the title of today's message. I kind of like the weird, I won't call it artistic, but I will call it the odd symmetry uh, of reading a text in which Daniel and his friends will not eat certain things. I won't do that. I won't eat that. And I, I, I love that this, this phrase comes to us from a man named Meatloaf. I don't know why that, <laughs> that makes me happy, but it does. If you're under 50 years old, uh, if you haven't had a knee replacement, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I promise, I promise, this is this is my contractual promise with you. Next week, all the references, all the references are gonna be really, really young and really hip. Some of you are like, I don't know if you can do that. Here's what I need you to know. Once I once referenced Taylor Swift six weeks in a row because someone here told me I couldn't. I put I put Tay Tay in every sermon for six weeks. Uh, Here's what's happening in our text. Here's the big picture. Uh, Babylon has captured Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. And the reason they've captured them is because in verse two, if we can put that up, Reese, uh, because the Lord has allowed it. And this is sort of like the big frame that goes over everything in Daniel. In Daniel, there are kings, there are princes, there are advisors, there are magicians, there are enchanters, there are wise people but the main frame in the book of Daniel is that above them all is the Lord who is the one who is pulling the levers of history. And the reason the Lord allowed a pagan king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to take over his own people is two main reasons. Uh, number one, they had become idolatrous. So his own people had in many ways rejected the Lord. And in the Old Testament understanding, it works something like this. And I'm talking about judgment. Judgment. Judgment isn't so much that God shoves pianos out of heaven and laughs. Judgment is a getting what you think you want. And so there's a sense in which the people of God had said, you know what, we kind of like these other gods too. And God's like, well, if you want to serve those other gods, why don't you go to Babylon? That's kind of the frame. The second reason all of this happens is because the people of Israel had not kept the Sabbaths that the Lord required in the book of Leviticus. Uh, In Leviticus, say, 25 and 26 and 27, the Lord says something like this. You need to give your body a rest and you need to give the land a rest. And if you'll do that, I'll take care of you in a way that you'll never imagine. But if you decide to not give the land a rest, you can go work for someone else, right? And so there's this sense in which you see that judgment is people getting what they think they want. And then we also see that this very thing was prophesied in Isaiah. So Reese, if you can put this up for me, Isaiah chapter 39, verse seven, Isaiah prophesies this. He says, some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They'll become eunuchs who serve in the palace of Babylon's king. So before this ever happens, it's sort of like brewing, sort of brewing. And by the way, all of this would have been normal practice for conquering kings in the ancient Near East. And by that, I mean, you go in, you conquer a land, and you make the ruler of that land your vassal king. Then you take the best and brightest. And I do like the note this morning, the most good looking, you know, that made some of us in the room feel good. Others of us were like, I'm out again. Uh, but you take the best and brightest and you reeducate them. And the point of that is that you want to put them back into the land that you took them for, from that they, might, that they might rule with your values, right? And so that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. And there's a sense in which Nebuchadnezzar is really a stand-in. Uh, he's a stand-in for the kingdoms and the empires of this world. And if you wanted to make an outline for this morning's text, you would do it like this. Uh, three things. We see that empires empires have a way to bend people into their service. Uh, number one, uh, they educate us in the ways of the world. Number two, they identify or they name us in reference to the world. And then number three, they feed us in what the world offers. And that's exactly what the text shows this morning. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar brings Daniel and his friends into his new school. The next thing he does is rename them. And then finally, he wants to feed them from his table. And so that's going to be the frame that we look at this passage in this morning. First thing I want to talk to you about is education. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar immediately puts Daniel and company into a Babylonian school. And and here's here's the place that they would learn the literature of Babylon, uh, meaning like the creation stories and the flood stories. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but... Uh, creation stories and flood stories they are not unique to Genesis. In fact, the very creation and flood stories that are in Genesis there are versions of them from all of the places in Mesopotamia and in the ancient near east and uh, they 're very similar in some ways, but then they 're very different in some other key ways and i don 't have time to put Babylon, Babylon stories stories and Hebrew stories up for you this morning. But basically what's happening is Daniel and his friends would have been re-educated in the Babylonian understanding of the world. They would have been given a Babylonian cosmology. They would have been given this sense of like, this is who we are from our literature, but it wouldn't have just been literature stories and myths. Daniel and his friends uh, would have also been trained in things like divination. Uh, Did you notice that at the end of chapter 1, that it isn't just advisors who are around the king, but did you notice that note that there were magicians and enchanters? And in the Babylonian world, magicians and enchanters are the same things as advisors and the educated class who are around the king. So Daniel and his friends would have learned literature, they would have learned mythology, they would have learned Babylonian cosmology, but then they would have also learned uh, divination, and in this world, divination would be something like this: they would be they would be looking for the future or looking for signs of what's happening uh, in the heavens, or if God is happy or if God is angry, and they'd be looking at basically the guts of animals. So they would sacrifice an animal, they'd look at the guts, especially in Babylon, they'd look at the liver, they they check that liver. Aren't you, and aren't you glad this isn't how we figure out what's next? They'd be looking at the liver, It'd be like real livery. It's probably going to be bad. I don't know. But that's what they would do. And Daniel and his friends would have definitely been in that school. They would also have been learning astrology. Again, uh, this is a culture where the culture is noticing that there's repeating patterns in the heavens. And in, in noticing that there are repeating patterns in the heavens, you begin to take on this sense that, there, that the universe is ordered and it must mean something. And so that would have made some sense. But then also a dream interpretation. This would have been the education that Daniel received. And we notice that in chapter one, verse 17, if we can put that up, Reese, that God has given Daniel a special ability. Look, the, the young man had an unusual ap- aptitude for understanding everything. But look, God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. So he was educated, and at the same time, God was also at work in that process. This kind of education was was all-encompassing. And and the goal of this education was was the total sublimation of their Hebrew roots. Uh, As one of my favorite songs says, burn it up start over. Oh, that's a current one. That's, that's a little better than meatloaf, isn't it? Okay, if you know it, sing it with me. Burn it up, start over. Burn it up, start over. <laughs> Maybe we'll play it next Sunday. People will be like, the vineyard has gotten very strange. <laughs> but the goal here is just to wipe out the, entire, the entirety of their Hebrew culture and their Hebrew roots. That has to do with education. Uh, number two, identity and naming. Uh, the second thing that Nebuchadnezzar does is he renames his servants, and this has to do with core identity. Uh, Daniel, Daniel's name in Hebrew means God is my judge. Belshazzar means Bel's prince. And so, so Nebuchadnezzar is doing this strategic surgical thing. He's, he's saying, I'm going to remove Yahweh consciousness I'm going to remove Jehovah consciousness from you all the way down to your name. God is no longer your judge. No, your bell's prince. See how this goes? This is, this is an intensification. It's not, just, it's not just education. It is deletion. Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. Shadrach means illuminated by the sun God. It's like completely different cultures, right? Uh, Mishael means who is like God or who is like our God. Meshach means who is like Shaq. That one made me laugh a little bit. And, and Shack was a Babylonian princess. It wasn't a seven-foot-three Laker. But it's total deletion of another culture. And Azariah means the Lord is my help, and he gets renamed to Abednego, which is the servant of Nego. And in the Old Testament, One's name was always in line with their true self. It's their true identity. Remember, remember the story of Jacob? Uh, Jacob's name means heel grabber. And the reason, the reason Jacob was named Jacob, the reason he was named heel grabber is because when he was born, he was a twin. And remember, he was grabbing Esau's heel. And what does Jacob do for the rest of his life? Tries to trip his brother, right? He's tripping him up until until he wrestles with an angel of the Lord and in the wrestling, the Lord renames him Israel, which means the one who wrestles or struggles with God. So in the Old Testament, this naming thing was, was no small deal. It's, it's in line with who your true identity was. And so when Nebuchadnezzar deletes that, he's, he's deleting something central to who you are. And then finally, Nebuchadnezzar feeds his new servants. And he wants to feed them meat and wine. Think of that as the delicacies of the world, the tasty bits that nourish us. And here's what I've been thinking about this week. Is there anything harder to say no to than food? Let me me maybe say it this way. Is there anything that we're all more universally addicted to than food? Like if you're not addicted to food, you're dead right it's the strangest thing it's the strangest thing and here's what's wild in the text this morning what's wild is that Daniel doesn't reject his education and Daniel doesn't reject his renaming but he begins to draw he begins to draw lines and boundaries and he begins to put up resistance around the area of food instead he refuses to be fed the tastiest bits from the king's table which is one of the hardest things to say no to. The other thing that's weird about it is, is this. It seems so small. Not only is it hard to say no to, but it seems like, well, I mean, if you're going to learn the Babylonian culture, like if you're going to learn the mythology and the cosmology, and if you're going to take the name, like why are you getting all fussed up about the meat from the king's table? After all, where did the vegetables come from? the king's table, right? So it's a very interesting dynamic in play. But this is precisely where Daniel draws the line. Daniel and his friends begin to apply targeted resistance. In fact, if you read American history, uh, one of the things you'll read is that when, when chattel slavery was still a part of American history, when there were slaves and masters of uh, the slave's Always resisted their masters, and they would do this in all kinds of ways. The slaves would uh, break the tools; they would, anytime they get a chance, break the tools. Uh, Anytime they get a chance, uh, harvest less, uh, make things go as wrong as possible. And we're we're seeing that even those actions are—they're coming directly from a biblical text and a biblical tradition of apply resistance when you have been when you have been subsumed. Uh, by another culture that is wanting to delete your true identity. Uh, there's a few reasons why Daniel and his friends are utilizing targeted resistance to the empire. And there's a few reasons why they're doing it in the area of food. Number one, uh, it was probably the only thing that was sort of in their control. Uh, you receive the education or you die. You take the name or you die. Uh, but you, you can draw a line around food because it is, in some ways, within, within the domain of your own agency. Uh, the second reason I believe that they drew the line around food was because it was, it, it was a place where God would have to help them. If everyone else who's in this enterprise of being educated by the king, if everybody else is eating the meat and the wine and the fat and the bread and the carbs and the oil and the tasty bits... And then you're just eating broccoli and water. And then if you're going to be judged on how you look, how many of you know that you need God to help you? Like you need God to help you. So there's a sense in which it was a prayer in the form of an action. And then number three, and I think this one is actually digging into the real reason why they were applying resistance in this manner. Uh, It's metaphoric. You could read the passage and and understand vegetables and water to represent something else. And I I believe they represent uh, things that are alive and things that are pure. Again, prayer in the form of an action. It was a way of saying that we will feed on things that are alive and things that are pure. And I think this is the center of the passage. And so there's a couple questions we might ask ourselves this morning. Number one, uh, what do we feed ourselves on in a moment of pressure and outside manipulation? Uh, Number two... In a moment of being pressured by values that are not our own, what nourishes me? And, and I, think, I think the biblical text this morning would say, find ways to feed yourself on things that are alive and things that are pure. I want to break this up into three segments again. I want to talk about uh, re-education, renaming, and feeding. Uh, the world wants to educate all of us. Uh, and by the world, I mean the powers, the powers of the day, the spirit of the age. Uh, you want to use the word empire? Sure, use that. The empire wants to educate all of us. And what it wants to do is it wants to delete the God story and replace it with nor- another story. And we'll just take this from a couple levels here. In a grand uh, Western sense, postmodernism wants to say there is no unifying story. We live in a world right now where there is no unifying story. There's nothing we all agree on. And if there's nothing that we all agree on, if there's no unifying story, then part of the consequence of that is there's no goal. There's no telos. And if there's no telos and if there's no goal, then there's a nihilism that bubbles up from that kind of vacuum. Uh, maybe, Maybe you've wondered why in the last five to seven years in particular, especially in the American West, maybe you've wondered why. Why is it that people sometimes go nuts, show up in public and start shooting innocent people for no reason? I would like to offer one one tiny reason why people are, are being driven to such violence and to such extreme measures, because we live in a world where there's no goal. There's no unifying meta narrative, There's no telos. And in that kind of world, uh, the darkness breaks people uh, because the truth is human beings were made for a reason. And if we live inside of an empire that's telling us that all stories are individual, that all truth is relative to the person and that everything that's solid is only solid to the degree... Uh, that you can say it from where you sit. That is a world where there is no telos, where there is no goal, and that is a world that breeds nihilism. That's, that's an atheist factory world, and in that world, people resort to extreme measures. It's, it's literally just a manifestation of their own terror. In a national sense, the empire wants to say, that the ends justify the means, especially in politics, uh, in American politics right now, the, the, the thing that 's underneath the thing is, is this idea it 's that the ends justify the means. Another way to say it is whatever it takes to win. So on the right and on the left, it doesn't matter it doesn 't matter what the tactics are, so long as you win that 's the story. Uh, we also live in a moment where the story in America is deeply entrenched in a kind of consumerism that makes us always unsatisfied maybe you were maybe if you were to take 3 or 4 minutes this week and consider your life you might you might you might wake up to the to the to the realization that there's like a deep-seated dissatisfaction in your life. Uh, maybe, maybe sometimes when you get sad, you go on Amazon and buy something. How many of you have ever bought something and you had no idea why you bought it? But really, after you reflected, you were like, I, I just did that because I was a little sad and I needed the endorphin hit, right? I've done that. I've done that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not just buying things. Maybe you're always looking to the next job. Maybe you get a job and like six months later, you're already looking You're already looking on those job headhunting websites uh, because you're just fantasizing about another job. Or maybe it's the next vacation. It's the the story and the education that the empire is trying to give us. We also live in a moment where the empire wants to educate us in all of these ways. But but in the kingdom of God, I want to say this, but in the kingdom of God, there is a story. See, postmodernism says there is no unifying story, but the kingdom of God says there is a story uh, that there is an author, that there is a point, there is a goal, there is a telos, and the point for Christians is to become like Jesus. Or if I were to maybe switch the narrative or switch the metaphor again, the point is to take the beauty, the order, and the rest of Eden and to extend it as far as we can. Extend the garden. That, that's the goal. Can I tell you something? You and I, we will never be satisfied in our lives unless we are working on projects that extend beauty, order, and rest into the world. Like this is like some of us are here like, I don't know what to do with my life. Here, here let me tell you what to do with your life. This is from the Bible story. Find, find ways that you can extend beauty, order, and rest. In doing so, you are, you are extending the boundaries of Eden. And when you do that, you'll feel like an alive person. Uh, The kingdom of God says that the ends do not justify the means. As uh, as my good friend and brother-in-law often says, the way the kingdom comes is the kingdom that comes. See, like in American politics, the re-education is the ends always justify the means. Do whatever it takes to win. But in the kingdom of heaven, the ends never justify the means. Satan comes to Jesus and says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down to me right now. We will not do it. Uh, Jesus does not avoid the cross. Why? Because the ends never justify the means. Not in God's kingdom. Uh, And the kingdom of God says this. It says that we're not simply made to consume, that we're more than takers, that life, real life, is found in service and giving. Uh, The world, the empire, the spirit of the age, not only wants to educate us, but it wants to rename us as well. It wants to delete our true identity. The empire wants to make your identity a root of productivity. Uh, This is the reason why when we meet people, uh, oftentimes the first thing we ask them is, what do you do? Have you ever noticed that after you ask someone, when you're meeting them, what is your name, that the second question is almost always, what do you do? Who taught you to ask that question? I would like to suggest that the empire taught you to ask that question because in the world we live in, in the world we live in, our identity is almost always rooted to what we do, to the ways that we contribute. The empire says you are as valuable as your abilities, but the kingdom of heaven says you are beloved simply because you exist. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but God has no needs. God needs nothing. God does not need people. Like a great prayer every morning is God does not need me. If God has no needs, it means he only has wants. And if a person is alive, it's because they are a manifestation of his desire. So the world, the empire says, you are what you do. You, you are valuable to the extent that you bring something valuable to us. And, and God's kingdom says you are valuable simply because you exist not only that in the moment when you're least able to add anything to the end in the moment of your greatest weakness that is the moment of your most belovedness in your weakness you are loved that's the kingdom story the empire also wants to make our our identity a result of our sexuality you are your sexual preference or your status is rooted in sexual availability and conquest. But, but, but the kingdom says that we're more than sex. Uh, by the way, Jesus and Paul never had sex and they lived as fully actualized human beings. Uh, I would like to say this as concretely as I can. Uh, sex is great uh, and there's more to life than sex. Uh, there is something greater than that. You are not simply you are not simply a manifestation of your own sexual proclivities. Uh, the empire also wants to make my identity the worst thing that ever happened to me. I am my trauma or I'm forever marked by my worst moment. Uh, maybe to, we could flip it around the other way too. Uh, the empire often wants to, wants to identify us as the worst thing we ever did. Like you are the worst decision you ever made. Uh, you are the worst thing you ever did. But, but that's not the kingdom way at all. Resurrection says that God is at work even in my most painful places and there can be real life growing in the dark. Uh, so two things here. Number one, you are not your most painful day. You are not the worst thing that ever happened to you. And number two, you are not the worst thing you ever did. Those are, those are the ways in which the empire wants to name us. And then finally, the empire wants to feed us It wants to offer tasty bits for loyalty. It wants to appeal directly to our desires, our base appetites. It wants to trade momentary passing pleasure for a place at the table of favor and power. It wants faithfulness and trust, and it's willing to extend a bit of pleasure to us. And here's what's interesting. This is the very place that Daniel draws the line. It's the place that Daniel draws the line, because the kingdom of God says that there are pleasures available, but they're always they're always available in communion with God. In fact, there's no life or real pleasure apart from communion with God. So Daniel does something different. Instead, he chooses water and vegetables, things that are pure and things that are alive. A couple of things here for us as the church. Number one, church, we have to pursue. Things that are pure and things that are alive. Uh, If you if you want to avoid, if you want to avoid being uh, deleted by the empire, you have to pursue things that are pure and things that are alive. What are some things that are pure and alive? Well, number one would just be like the Word of God, having a life in the Scripture. Like the Word of God, it says it says this about the Word of God. It says the Word of God is living and active, like. Like one of the testimonies about God's Word is that it's actually alive, and you can receive it and actually feed on something that is pure and alive. Uh, we need a life in the Scriptures. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6 that man cannot live on bread alone, but you've got to live on every word that comes out of God's mouth. We need a steady diet right there. It's literally how we do not become conscripted by another narrative. Like, if we don't have a life in the scripture, we are so living in danger of being conscripted by another narrative. Now, here's the other part, though. You can read the Bible every day and become a jerk. A lot of people have. (laughs) Maybe you've met some. (laughs) Uh, So what do you do? Well, there's this other scripture in James that I think is really pertinent. James says, don't be hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And here's what I found in my life. If I have a life in the scriptures, especially in the gospels, if I'm reading regularly about and from the life of Jesus, and then if I can make any move towards actually doing the things that Jesus does, it actually prevents jerkiness from showing up because the path of Jesus is always about service and kindness and extending grace to people. And it's really difficult to do, but that's literally the key things that are pure, things that are alive. Another question I'd like to ask you this morning about that would be this, what makes you feel alive? Have you ever spent a few minutes thinking about what makes me feel alive? I would encourage you to do that this week because the things that make you feel alive, like in your soul, they're probably connected to God in some way. And even if you can't find the line right away, if you sit with it, there is some kind of spark there. What makes me feel alive? What makes me feel alive? Um, having a life in the scripture, well, that'd be one. What, what else makes me feel alive? Uh, we had like an amazing... Did you guys notice that the weather was just ridiculous yesterday? It's out of control. Out of control. And we had, we had like little... We had soccer all day and the kids were like blasting... Goals in people's faces, and <laughs> it was so good. And then my friend Jeremy Charlotte he took my youngest son Rowan. They went to a, a Louisville City game last night, and he sent me the funniest video I have ever seen of Rowan in my life. But I got the joy off of this video, like I have not gotten in in forever. And, and here's what happened: I guess they had scored a goal. And my son, Rowan, takes his shirt off and he's, and he's just going crazy like this. He's just, he's an animal, right? He's just an absolute animal. Uh, he's undomesticated. And I got the absolute joy off of that. Like you, you would not believe. And, and I went to bed last night and I was just, I, I oftentimes do this before I go to sleep. I'm just sort of like reviewing my day, looking for, looking for the moments of life, right? Like what brought me joy, what, what brought me pain, and um, and I thought of that moment with Rowan, and I thought, man, and I got this morning thinking about, well, what brings me life? Like, th- that's the kind of stuff that brings me life, like seeing your kids just go bananas, that brings me life. What is that? It's like, it's family, and who gave me the family? God gave me the family. Like, what makes you feel alive? Uh, I, I, another thing that makes me feel alive is like, go out in the woods and ride my mountain bike. Nothing makes me feel more alive than get out in the woods and and go ride my mountain bike. And how many of you know that, that it's not the empire and it's not the devil uh, that's trying to get you out into the woods and into nature and to just like getting into your body for a minute? How many of you know, right? Yeah, what makes you feel alive? Feeding ourselves on things that are pure and things that are alive. And... The second thing I would like to say as we wrap up here is don't be dismayed by the things that seem small or disproportionately weak. You know, Daniel's resistance around food seems weak in the face of a powerful monarchy. Uh, in fact, it seems not only weak, but it seems foolish. It kind of makes zero sense, but it's the, it's the kind of foolishness that God often delights in. And it's the, it's the sort of small that has the potential to grow and grow. Uh, especially when you think about the rest of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, they're saying no to food. In Daniel chapter 3, what are Daniel and his friends saying no to? They're saying we will not bow down to the golden statue. We, even, even if you throw us in a fiery furnace, we will not bow down to a, this golden statue. And here's the question. How do you become people who could stand up to the empire like that in chapter 3? I would like to suggest to you, it's, it's reserved for people who've drawn some boundaries around their life, like chapter 1. There's no way to get to chapter 3 without chapter 1. Uh, by the way, uh, this is honestly, this is the power of fasting. Uh, for every disciple of Jesus, uh, at some point during your year, and, and maybe a few times during your year, I would like to suggest to everybody in the room, we need to take on the spiritual practice of fasting, especially around food. Take 24 hours. Uh, eat no meat, no cheese, and no wine. Nothing from the king's table. Why not, why not have broccoli and water for 24 hours? And here's what will happen to you. It will be freaking miserable, okay? <laughs> but here's the jujitsu in it. Yeah. And it's actually jujitsu. Like, you can choke a dude out with this in the long run, Okay? Yeah. I know nothing about jujitsu. I, I know nothing. I, I watch it sometimes. I have no idea. But here's the jujitsu in it. The jujitsu is this, that in drawing your no around food, which is the thing we're all most addicted to and have to be, in drawing our yeses and nos around food for like 24 hours or 36 or 48 hours, it is, it is building in our souls the kinds of control over yes and no that might end up forming us into the sort of person who could look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, no, right? Can look at, can look at powerful forces that are, that are at work around us and say, no. Uh, it, you know, you could, you could fast one or two times a year and you could become, in the end, the kind of person who, who could not be conscripted by the American political left or right. I would like to say that, that avoiding, avoiding that kind of deletion of your true identity, it only comes by drawing the yeses and no's around receiving the scriptures, the word, the things that are alive, things that are pure, but then also the practice of, of yes and no, just like Daniel and his friends. It is, it is soul architecture. You know, anybody ever seen those um, those cathedrals in Europe? You know, so think about the cathedral in Europe. And then they have those. Y'all remember what those things on the outside are called that support it? The flying buttresses. There's some architecture for you. Uh, The flying buttresses literally hold the building up. Can I tell you, in the cathedral of your life, you're going to need some flying buttresses. I'm just riffing now. I've gone from jujitsu to flying buttresses. That's a real move. That's a real move. Yeah, so here's what I would like to do this morning. Church, uh, in a world that wants to re-educate, rename, and feed us, what are we nourishing ourselves on? What are we nourishing ourselves on? How are we resisting the empire? So if you're on the worship band this morning, why don't you come on up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.